Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Strick and Roll. I'm your host, Shrinipu. This is episode 41. I'm joined by longtime friend of the pod. It's the second appearance, I think. His name is Xavier Justin. That is XJ from Nick's Film School. You can find him and on Twitter at Xavier J Designs. XJ, how you doing? What up, Schwinn? I'm doing all right. A little heartbroken. <laughs> About the Obi Top and stuff, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. But uh, other than that, I'm solid, feeling good, ready to talk some Knicks basketball, talk some Knicks off season. So everything good on my end. Yes, uh, we will be talking about uh, Mr. Toppin and his exit from our New York Knicks. Uh, but before we get started, I have to make a few announcements. The first being that Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strick.land on Instagram. We're posting all kinds of new content on there. Secondly, this uh, the Strickland has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you haven't done so already, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise. I'm not wearing any of it, but it is there. I promise you. You can find it on our website. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, even water bottles. You name it, we got it. Check it out. You can find it again on our website. And then finally, the, the Strickland has a Patreon, you can subscri- which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a six-star tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, the podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. That comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, this pod right here that I host, where I get to rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. That's come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. And then finally, none of this would be possible without Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds line odds, lines, and match reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50%. Welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, we, I guess we might as well start with Obi Toppin. And, uh, you know, he gets traded to the Indiana Pacers right into their cap space. Uh, Knicks get back two second rounders. We still don't know which second rounders those are. Indiana has a number of them. I imagine they would be ones further out in the future, but we will see 
when those details come out, which I I would again imagine is on July sixth when the official uh, moratorium ends, and uh, the Knicks also get a six point eight million dollar TPE out of it. Uh, you know, I I know that Jeremy Cohen would be very mad if I did not mention that uh, very very important trade trade player exception. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I think. There's a lot of stuff to unpack with this, but I, I think what I would say is there's a difference between being upset with everything about how his three years in New York were managed um, by the front office and from Thibodeau. Uh, but I also think like if you were expecting much more in trade for him at this point, I think that's just a really severe miscalculation and we can debate whether you know should the knicks have been they didn't take salary back which i imagine was part of the appeal of doing such a trade for him at this point uh that helps them successfully i mean they pretty much are no risk of going over the luxury tax in all likelihood and certainly not approaching the hard cap uh, which they are hard cap now at 172 million after using the full mid level, or at least most of the mid level on Dante DiVincenzo. Um, so that is, I'm sure, part of it. And you know whether you think if they had taken back salary, could they have gotten more another second rounder or whatever? I kind of think that's small potatoes. Um, I don't really have a problem. I mean, I have a problem with what they got in return, but I just wasn't expecting more because of how really his entire tenure in New York has been mismanaged and and more than mismanaged. I would just say like, I think the biggest thing for me is whatever you want to say about the front office in terms of should they have picked him eighth? Was it a disservice to hold on to him as long as they did, which I don't really think is the case. I think it would have been hard to trade him honestly before this point. Um, however you want to blame them, I really do think the biggest problem is twofold, and, and that is, one, Julius Randle turning into an all-NBA player, which I don't think anybody would have expected. Uh, and then two is Tom Thibodeau's rigidity at the big man positions and his lack of, honestly, like, I'll just, I, I've said this, I said this before, I think on the last podcast we did that drop today, um, but, you know, we all have our, thoughts on Tom Thibodeau's management of young players, but whatever you think of how he treats Emmanuel quickly or Quentin Grimes or RJ or Mitchell Robinson, he implicitly trusts those guys and feels they're better talented players than he ever felt about Obi Toppin. And that's very, very obvious with how he used him, his unwillingness to waver on his minutes, his usage, his role, trying to find him a role. And I think it's revealing of some of the underlying criticisms that a lot of people, including myself, I'm not trying to dis- dissociate myself from this group, a lot of people have had of Tom Thibodeau as a coach. Does he do good things? Sure. But I think this underlines some of the shortcomings I feel of him in terms of his kind of do guys fit into a certain box that I expect. And so those are like my broad thoughts on the Obi Toppin thing, but I will I will let you go here because I know Obi is your guy. I know that you. I mean, I think we talked about this when you came on last time, but I, and I know you tweeted about it. But Obi in Indiana is probably like one of the really good fits for him around the league. Basically, any team that plays with pace that incorporates a lot of ball and player movement are good places for him. So uh, the floor is yours, XJ. Yeah, I I mean I largely agree with all of your thoughts. I 
as far as the return right now, the return is fine. The return is what you would expect. We're in a situation where Obi Toppin is a sunk cost. And so this is the reality of the current situation. You're going to get two second round picks. Maybe you could have scraped a late first, maybe, but not if you're not taking back salary. Like it's, you know, I, I think they're going to be probably like, decent second round picks that's the best you could hope for at this situation for Obi Toppin um based on where his value is at now how his value got there that's where I have the issue um I mean first I want to start by saying I hear a lot of Knicks fans compare Obi with like Knox and Frank and Cam and I'm like listen those three guys have totaled 15 seasons in the NBA and there's not even a single average impact NBA season among those 15 seasons that those those guys have all had. Obi has played, played three seasons and has a top 15 percentile season as far as impact in his second year. And last year wasn't good, but was still around a replacement level player, um, despite being deployed in a way that is just not consistent with his strength. So I just want him out of comparisons with those other guys. I, I It should be completely a, a separate conversation. Um, and then my issue really with Tibbs and just the, the, the management of a young player like Obi Toppin is I think that it, there's a need to adapt your coaching to the player. Like whether that's minutes, usage, role, maybe that won't change. Maybe that's just, okay. Tibbs is going to be rigid, needs a rim protector at all times, can't play Randall uh, and Toppin together. I don't agree with that. But even if you're not going to be flexible there, you have to be flexible with how you treat the player with regard to their personality, with regard to what motivates them, with regard to what drives them. He, I believe Tibbs, always treated Toppin in a very aggressive way, in a way that didn't bring out his strengths. I think that Obi really responds mostly to confidence. And being an Obi Toppin uh, appreciator, a fan of his game, um, I watch him very closely. I'm known in you know Knicks communities as like a data-driven person, and I absolutely am. But I also pay attention to a lot of the behavioral clues, um, personality traits, ways that guys really respond when they're being challenged, when when guys have confidence, when guys have are, have their backs against the wall. How do they respond to those situations? And those are things that all need to be accounted for. And I think that Toppin was never given the confidence that he needed, was never given the trust that he needed to have to to perform at his best. Um, And those things are going to be essential to bringing out the best of the player, regardless of restrictions that you might have with regard to, again, minutes, usage, role, all those kinds of things. So those are even additional separate conversations to me. So are you treating the player in the way that brings the best out of him? And if you're not, That's a problem. That's something that can change without regard to giving him, you know, 25 minutes a a night. Uh, That wasn't done well. Then as far as usage and role, like the rigidity with regard to not being able to play Randall and Toppin together, I think was so frustrating to me, but was not something that was going to change. And if it was not something that was going to change, at what point would, should you realize that and trade Obi? To me, I do think I, I, this is where I disagree with you. I think it was they waited too long to trade Obi Toppin. I would have traded him earlier, not saying that you could have got a better return for him. I, I mean, I think you could have. But what was the point of keeping here in that role, knowing that there was no intention to ever trade Julius Randle? Um, I believe that there was no intention to ever trade Julius Randle. I believe that it was very unlikely always that they were going to trade Julius when his value was low. 
Um, they didn't want to trade him at a low value when his value was high. He was too good to be traded. So I just never saw him moving. And I just wonder what's the point of keeping Ovi to this point to where he is coming on his last year of his rookie deal, um, which I think depletes his value. So to me, those are the issues where it's like the rigidity with regard to how you treat the player, the rigidity with regard to his role. And then if if those things were both true, knowing that those things were both true, why would you hold on to the player until his final year of his rookie deal when it, you know, implicitly it is going to be as low as value value. So those are my issues, and you know, I obviously wish Obi the best. I think he's going to thrive in Indiana. I don't think it's guaranteed he gets to start um, in Indiana. I, I so actually I suspect he won't start just because. Yeah, 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 I think it's unlikely. Yeah, but if he gets twenty to twenty-five minutes, which I think is also is possible, because I think um, Rick Carlisle is going to be a little more flexible. He's more creative. Um, yeah. He's more creative with getting the lineups and getting the best out of his players. I think. Um, I think he's going to be able to score. 15 points a night on high efficiency and you know passable defense i don't think he's a horrible defender like some people um seem to say i think he'll be like slightly below average um so i think he'll be solid in that role and i think he'll be able to thrive and showcase his abilities and 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 see where he goes from there so that's where i'm at with the ob thing yeah i mean i so just to go back what i would say is with regard to when they traded him the reason i say i don't think it was like this is kind of the point where it made sense to do it is this. Is So after his rookie year, yes, I know Randall was awesome and you're projecting that he's going to be a stud moving forward. Almost no front office in NBA history is going to have the fucking balls to trade a top 10 pick after one year because maybe you don't know what his role... Like, it's just not going to happen. I don't think it's realistic to expect that. If you want to levy that as a criticism, I won't... That's fine. I, I mean, I'm not saying you are doing this. I've seen people do it. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's just a bit ridiculous, but whatever. After his second year, he closes the season strong. Yeah. And Randall was terrible that year. He was awful. So, like, if I'm the front office, and we know, like, I mean, it wasn't reported directly, but look, reports don't come out of LA randomly that the Lakers have no interest in Julius Randall unless the Knicks at least had a conversation with somebody with the Lakers like, hey, what about Julius Randle? Um, like, I'm not saying they were shopping him, but they were definitely open to the possibility. But once you know he's coming back, and considering the season he had just had the year before, I don't think it's feasible to trade Obi at that point either, especially like we just mentioned, he closed the season fucking awesome. I don't think it's feasible to trade him at that point because you're worried like, Look, I'm happy. Like, I'm sure they had conversations with Julius, and Julius is telling them, "Like, look, I, I'm doing, I'm doing breathing exercises. I feel great. My mental is fantastic." And they're probably like, "That's awesome, Julius. We will wait to see how this goes." Um, <laughs> and I think, like, look, he obviously bounced back. He had an incredible season, Julius. He had an All NBA season, and deservedly. And, um, like, you know, you can talk. I understand. Like, okay, then just trade him at the deadline. And this is where I just don't. I don't want to say I don't agree. Like I understand that perspective, but for me, if I'm if I'm the front office, and I know this front office, I think we can all agree on this. They have prioritized being good. That is what they like. They want to be good. Yeah, they want to win absolutely. games. They want to be competitive. They want to go as far as they can every single year. Okay, so every move they make, or at least not every, but ninety percent of the moves they make, should be thought of in the lens of. How do we improve in the short and long term? That's generally the way they have 
proceeded. I agree. And so if I look at it like that, I'm like, okay, I can trade Obi Toppin, right? Let's just assume this. I'm no one no one knows this for sure, but let's just assume, right? Let's assume if you trade him at the deadline, Indiana's willing to give you a late first instead of two seconds because they're getting an extra half season of him, whatever it is. Let's just say exactly. That. Let's right. say that. Let's just say that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, is that worth more to me? Is just getting that late first, taking Obi out of the rotation, and now my rotation is basically what it's going to be this year, except Deuce will be the Di Vincenzo. Like, is that worth it for me? Does that make me a better team, or does that actually make me a worse team? And I think the way they evaluated that was like, we are comfortable adding Josh Hart, taking Deuce out of the rotation, and these are our nine guys now. If we take Obi out, now we're introducing a dynamic that we don't actually have any, any proof of concept of. And we are taking a risk at a point in the season where if you go back to around the trade of the line, yes, the Knicks were in a good position. Yes, I think their odds were heavily favored of being one of the automatic top six teams in. Um, but like it was still in the balance. You know, Miami was still very close to us in the standings. I think Brooklyn was still. I, I mean, at that point, Brooklyn, I don't know. They hadn't even traded Durant at the time we traded for Josh Hart, I don't think. So like we don't really know. You know, okay, is Brooklyn really going to fall off here, or they they were ahead of us even at that point? So you're like balancing these things, and I think it's understandable to be like, look, if we have to take a lesser pick return, so be it. We want to be good, and we think Obi Toppin helps us to that end. And I and to that point, like I think they made the right call because whatever you know, people think of Obi. You know, whether you think he's good, whether you think he's Frank Nilakina, but a power forward, like it's indisputable that he came up big for us in big spots. I mean, you go back into the playoffs, right? He came up huge at the end of game four when Randall was shitting himself to the point that even Tibbs closed the game with Obi. And if you go back to game five, when Randall gets hurt, they start the second half. Obi is the guy who like, I mean, that was kind of, you're kind of expecting them to make a run. Obi comes out, hits a corner. Th- they, I think Cleveland hit a three to start the quarter. And then Obi comes out and hits a corner three after that. He hit another three after that. And then he had like a couple of transition dunks, but he had a really good game, solid game in Julius's absence. And those are key moments in a season. I don't know what the, there is no intent. Like I can't, I mean, I, I said this yesterday, but like I can't go to real GM future draft detailed and show you like the value of Obi Toppin helping us win a couple of key playoff games. I could do, I obviously, if they had traded him for a late first, I could be like, see, this is what they got for Obi Toppin. I can't tell you that. I don't know what the value is of that. But I know that the front office places a value on exactly the type of thing that Obi Toppin produced, which is production in a moment that helped this team win ball games that were important to them and helped us win ball games that helped us get to the second round of the playoffs, you know? And honestly, if you go back and watch game six against Miami, he probably should have played that. He should, probably should have closed that game too because Randall was terrible and Obi actually gave us a little bit of a spark in the fourth quarter. Like, I, I'm not, I don't want to go, I'm not doing the tips thing right now, okay? This is just my thought. Like, hey, <laughs> Obi could have produced something maybe in that moment. But the point being is like, I understand people that disagree with the choice of keeping Obi for the stretch, the second half of the season, but I do think like there's a very logical reason to do it if you're not just prioritizing maximizing the asset, 
like if the priority was maximizing the asset return for Obi, then they 100% should have traded him at the trade deadline. But I don't think that was their only consideration. And I would guess that they weighed this into their decision not to trade him at that point and were comfortable taking a lesser return if it came to that. And I'm okay with that choice. I think that that is a well-articulated position. I think that's totally fair and justifiable. I just disagree with it because of a few reasons. So one, this this your position, again, makes total sense. I think it assumes Randall was on the block at some point, at least to some extent them like trying to gauge what his value was um, coming after OB year two. After OB year two, he had a great season when you take mm-hmm. it as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, he had two year two years of team control left on a rookie deal. Um, I think you need to pick a direction at that point instead of hedging. I don't think you can do this thing where it's like, well, we'll see. Maybe we'll put some feelers out to see what Randall's value is. If it's not high enough, we'll keep him. We'll keep both him and Obi, and then go into the season. If Randall plays really well, Obi's going to be gone at some point. We know that. If Randall doesn't play really well, we'll then sell him super low and then uh, – and then keep Obi as a starter. Like, what's the plan there? I don't even understand what the what the alternative would be. Like, we will just accept that we have to sell Randall very low, and then just go with Obi. Is that would that have been the other direction? To me, they were never trading Randall at a low value. I I I, I think it's fair. Maybe they did put feelers out, see what they could get for him. Um, you know, from LA. I think once you see what he's at. If he's going to be above that value, it's probably going to be because he played better, and in which case you keep him. And if he was going to be below that value, are you going to then trade him for less than you know mm. this amount that you didn't want to to begin with? Um, that's a tough hedge, and I don't see really the the great the great return that you would get from doing a hedge like that. To me, it's like after year two. I agree with you about midseason. I think that that's totally fair. Midseason. You know, Obi wasn't playing particularly well. His value wasn't super high. He wasn't being deployed very in, in, in the best way to maximize his strengths. So at that point, okay, what's the difference? A late first, two seconds maybe in the future. Maybe Obi helps you. Maybe Randall gets hurt. It's literally what happened. Maybe Obi helps you out in some big spots. I think that that's fair. And I don't, that's not really where I feel strongly that they should have moved them. I think it's after year two when he had a great year. Um, two years of team control left. Things were really looking up. I think you could have maximized the value there, gotten somebody back, and then figured out what you want to do at the backup four um, in a way that worked more for Tibbs's kind of vision. So to me, that's where the fumble was. But I, I, I can see your perspective. I think it's justifiable. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what... I mean, I don't even know what the hell they would have... I mean, if Randall came out this year and was playing the same way. And honestly, at the start of the season, like... I know his efficiency was much better the entire year, but like I thought for the first 15 or 20 games, he was still being like pretty fucking miserable to watch. I totally, I said the same as much on, on some podcasts as well. Yeah. I agree. I thought he was still miserable to watch. And then he really like, I don't know what the hell happened, but he definitely stepped it up at that, after that point. I mean, really like the entire team did after that rotation change. So maybe it was just a fact of like, once you started playing the lineups that made sense, turned his production really everybody's production into like meaningful impactful numbers and statistical output but um yeah i mean he was a lot better after that point too so i don't even know what the pivot would have been um i just i mean and and like i'm not even saying it's right because i kind of agree with you that like yeah i mean you can hedge it but let's say randall sucked ass and you did start all of a sudden start obi top and like 
were you really? Just, what were you going to do with Randall? Yeah, what are you going to do with Randall? Like, I yeah, I yeah. don't know. But the way they've generally operated is they're kind of like, I don't want to say they're hoarders because I feel like that that's a perspective that puts them in like this very like, like I think they're misunderstood as risk averse, and I think they're not risk averse. I think they are very rigid in what they think of their values, like what they perceive value as, is they are right. very rigid to it. Um, but yeah, like I have this no valuation and this is our valuation. Right. We're not moving off that. Right. Yeah. And so like, I don't think like, I just, I, I really have no idea how they would have managed it. And I think that's a fair criticism to have, but like in general, they seem okay with persisting with uncomfortable situations. If the alternative isn't attractive to them, you know, like that's just right. kind of what it seemed like. And even with reddish, like, we knew coming into the season, we were like, all right, well, how is he getting minutes? Like, how is that happening? And it was kind of like, yeah, I guess we'll figure it out. And, I mean, they've done this really, like, all three seasons they've kind of done this, if you look back. Like, you know, the start, people forget this, but, like, at the start of 2020, 2021, they bring back Alfred Payton. We had Frank here. We still had Dennis Smith Jr. here. And I know it, it, in in retrospect, it sounds ridiculous. Obviously, they had drafted quickly, too. It sounds ridiculous, but at the time we were like, "This is like who's going to play point guard? These minutes are like such a fucking crisis," <laughs> and they don't care. Like we saw this the, the following yeah. season, right? They draft Grimes, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, what are they going to do with Grimes? He's not even going to play." And I'm like, I mean, at the time I was like, "Well, that's fine. Like you draft a guy twenty fifth, he doesn't necessarily need to play right away." Um, you know, I'm fine with them having Fournier, Burks, whatever. We'll see. Grimes can get a shot when he gets a shot. And that changed quickly, but like they don't seem to be bothered by these roster crunches. And it seems like, if anything, they bank on their ability to to address them, like as the season goes on and, and move off of them. So, like, I kind of they might not have had a clear plan. It might have just been like, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with Randall, and if he sucks, we'll figure it out then. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And so actually this is, I mean, I'm really glad you laid it out this way because this helps me clarify kind of where my d divide is from the front office in this way. I think that that's right. How you fra framed it is correct in terms of how they're viewing it. To me, I don't think they're allowing for like a reasonable chance of meeting the threshold where a move can be deemed successful. And what I mean by that is like the Cam deal. I never thought the Cam deal was good. And I think that it was reasonable value for Cam, given his potential upside and what you could see for, from him. But the way that it played out, I think that Cam played as well as you could have expected from him um, reasonably, right? Like, of course, he could have played better, turned into a superstar all of a sudden. That What are the, what are the chances of that happening? I think he played reasonably well and kind of at the bet, like given what we've seen from Reddish early in his career, kind of at the peak of what you could have expected within the realm of reasonability. And to me, he did that, and it was still like, you're still out of the rotation, you're gone. So, like, what did you expect to get in Cam Reddish? He did the best that you could have hoped for reasonably, right? He didn't exceed and wow you and, and completely blow away your wildest expectations. And if he would have done that, yeah, he would have forced himself into the rotation, forced himself potentially into a starting lineup at some point. But what, are the, what were the chances of that happening? 5%? Like, within the realm of reasonability, I think he played as well as you could have expected. And so he did that, and then you still he's still out. So to me, if that is inevitable in a sense, right, inevitable unless someone exceeds your wildest expectations, then why would you do the move to begin with? And I feel the same way um, kind of with the Obi Randall situation. Like, 
what was Obi going to do to supersede and take over the starting um, job from Randall? Like, <laughs> could he have just come out and been like hitting every three and just, just playing? Just be Giannis. Uh, yeah, like what was he going to do? And it, there was no chance of that happening, right? Like not no chance, maybe a small percentage chance. And because of that, to me, it's like, you're in this situation where like we kind of don't really care. Like, let it work itself out. We'll we'll flip them and we'll just get back what we get at the end of it. I think that's okay, but I think that's only okay if you set it up so that there's a reasonable chance of that thing happening that would allow you to kind of feel good about the move that you made. And I don't think there was a reasonable chance. I don't like I said. I like what's the pivot if Randall doesn't play well? I don't think there was any situation where Obi would take over the starting job. And Randall would be the one moving for two seconds. Like, there's no chance that that would happen. And so, because there's such a small chance of that happening, I just think you have to you have to play the odds. It's like you know we'll, we'll do we'll, we won't hedge in this situation because the pivot of this hedge is not going to get us back a great return anyway. And we know that that's likely, right? So to me, it's like probable probabilities is where I differ. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it, to me, the Obi thing is like. I, I guess part of the reason why I wasn't I wasn't that upset when he got traded is I was like, this is going to happen. Like, it, it just had to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was going to happen. Yeah, it had to happen. And honestly, I think one of the things – I might have tweeted this. Or not, no, I didn't tweet it, but I think I said it on the podcast. but like, Or maybe in our, just on our Discord. But one of the things I was like, I don't – I would like if they made some consequential trade for like – like, I've talked about this. Like – there's a scenario where I think trading for like a Paul George, I was on, I'm very on board with, but like barring these big pie in the pie in the sky type of trades or, you know, roster mm-hmm. moves. The, the one thing I was like, they cannot come back to training camp next year with Obi on the roster because there's no path to him getting minutes. He's clearly unhappy. He's, I understand why he's unhappy. I'm not like, I, I think he deserves to be unhappy. Um, well, not like, I don't know. He doesn't deserve the <laughs> but he should be unhappy with the situation. Can I quote you on that? <laughs> Obi yeah, Toppin deserves yeah, to be unhappy. Yeah, he deserved it, dude. Um, uh, but like, like that was, that was it for me. That was like one of the one things I was like, they have to do this thing. And, um, they did it. The value was never going to be great. I knew it was yeah, going to suck. So it's what it is. Um, you know, we'll see what they do. I, I will say this though, like, and I, I think this kind of leads into DiVincenzo with the way the Knicks play and like, whether you agree with that, disagree with that, should they do something more exciting, whatever it is with the way they play, Obi Toppin was never going to find his, he was never going to achieve Nirvana in New York. You know, he was never going to find nope. spiritual happiness here because, and I mean, I think Kevin Pelton might've dropped this stat in his piece, but it was like, I think his first year in New York, he'd averaged something like 32, 32 possessions as a role man. 32, it's like 32 per 100 possessions were him as a role man. And then his second year, that dropped to 21.8. And then I think last year, it dropped to 8.8. So, like, you know, <laughs> as far as like Tibbs not doing anything to like, he actually started kind of okay and just like it got worse and worse. And last year was like, be, it was, I mean, I, he, I've mentioned this like 100 so many times, but he basically was like, be Richard Lewis. I just want you to be Richard Lewis. I don't want you to do anything yep, else. That's a good comp. And look, if that's if that was going to be the role, then he was never going to be successful here, and they and they should move off him. And if that's an organizational pivot decision, whatever, I think that's fine. I think that's okay. Like 
not every player, like, if you are determined, like, this is how we are going to play, whether I agree with that choice of how you're going to play, then within that choice, there needs to be tough decisions that are made. And if one of those choices was Obi Toppin is not a part of our future, okay, then so be it. I'm okay with that choice. Um, and I, I, think, I totally agree yeah. with you, to be clear. Totally agree yeah. with you. And I think to that end, I actually think Dante DiVincenzo is fucking great for that. Like, I think he's going to be... I'll be shocked if he's not good in New York, honestly. I'll be really, really surprised. Because what you need with the way the Knicks play, what you need your off-ball guys to do is be able to find space, relocate along the perimeter, and knock down those shots. And if you watch DiVincenzo play, like that is what he does. That is what he does really, really well. And he's a good cutter and all those things. But what the Knicks need more than any of that is that. And the other piece is, and I think even you would agree with this, I do think Obi made significant strides um, in improving as a defensive rebounder, but he's still not a good defensive rebounder for a four. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think DiVincenzo is going to bring something to the table or, or, or not maybe bring something to the table, but I don't think the drop-off in terms of, like, rebounding and getting... Like, I see all these people, like, freaking out, like, well, what are we going to do without a backup four? And I'm like, I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue, man. Like, I really don't. No, that's fine. I think it'll be fine. Like, you're talking about, one, 13 to 15 minutes a game because mm-hmm. Randall's going to play the rest of the fucking time. And, and, like, I think Josh Hart and RJ Barrett can be fine as backup fours uh, in those minutes. And I think getting a guy like DiVincenzo who gives you plus rebounding from a perimeter position makes that a lot more tenable. And at the end of the day, like this whole, Oh, the Knicks, like there's a difference between playing small and playing. Like I don't consider playing Hartenstein or Mitch with some combination of guards and wings necessarily playing small. Like the guys that really move the needle for us on the offensive and defensive glass are our centers. And like, yes, Josh Hart, obviously really good defensive rebounder, but those, as long as those two guys are on the floor, I'm really not that worried about getting destroyed on the glass. I'm just not. I think we'll be a really good rebounding team regardless. So, like, you know, to be clear, I, this is not so much like, you know, this is not, is DiVincenzo a better player than Obi Toppin? I don't even know how to go about answering that question. I just think with how the Knicks play, you know, on both ends of the floor to some extent, what he brings to the table might actually end up being more impactful considering how they used Obi last year. Like, they didn't even use him, right? So if that's how you want that spot in the rotation to be, then DiVincenzo is going to be an upgrade. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.